So today's topic is five money-making ideas when planting cover crops. And I just have to say uh, that I chose five. I could have said 25, but, you know, we're going to talk about five. I have two bonus ones I'm going to add in there because I just had to throw them in. And uh, when we talk about cover crops, it's very clear that the most often asked question in cover cropping is, do cover crops pay? I think almost everyone knows their benefits. There's no issue there. But can we be able to use cover crops and be able to take advantage of their benefits but knowing it's an additional expense, can we make them pay? Because at the end of the day, they're going to have to pay their way. I am a farmer. I understand this, and I understand that you have to uh, make this work. So um, all that being said, I want to give us some ideas today. And uh, at the end, if there's other things you want to add, I certainly would, uh, would be uh, really open to hear because I know there's a lot of things out there. So the things I'm going to cover today, and, and these aren't necessarily in any given order. I want to make that clear. Uh, but there's some of the, one of the more important ones I think that can make a difference. So the first one is using uh, precision planters, which a lot of farmers have, to be able to lower your seeding rates, which uh, obviously helps them uh, be able to pay their way better. Another one that is definitely deserves to be in the top five is planting as soon as possible after the cash crop harvest. And, uh, you know, we're in farming. We all know there's some limitations in there. But I will tell you that what I have seen is farmers have really, that have seen the benefits of cover crops, they'll make it happen. Um, the other thing is shop around for price and service. And then I crossed out price and put in value. Going to talk about that a little bit, um, and that's something that sometimes some farmers overlook. And of course, using legumes for N or nitrogen fixation is is important. Um, and then understanding how to create a cost saving mix. And the reason I put this in is sometimes there's a perception out there that if I grow a mixture of species, that it's going to cost me more. And uh, yeah, it could. It certainly could. But uh, that being said, if it's done right, it may actually cost you less. And that's why we're uh, discussing that topic today in my, uh, in my topic here of five ways to make money using cover crops. So let's talk about the first one, uh, using a lower seeding rate by uh, using a precision planter. And I'm talking about planters that are normally used for corn or soybeans. And particularly, if farmers have a 15-inch planter or a narrow row planter, they are much more conducive to planting cover crops. And uh, there, there, there even are cases where I know of farmers who are planting cover crops in 30-inch rows if their objective is to soak up leftover nitrogen uh, or something like that, that you don't need uh, a drill to to do that. If you're going after something like compaction alleviation, then you probably want to stick with a drill to keep the plants closer. Uh, so 
So that's just where that's just why I am I am listing this here because there's a lot of 15 inch planters out here now with all the 15 inch beans that are out, uh, and there are now plates that are available, seeding discs I should say for vacuum planters, and I uh, covered this in one of my other webinars before, but being able to plant mixes is now possible with most of the popular brands, and there's there's seed discs out there. Uh, that that are be able they're able to be purchased to be able to use in these planters. So with a precision planter, better seed placement. They're just designed to uh, better because of row cleaners and and better depth control with gauge wheels and so forth. Uh, I think row cleaners are a big part of it here now. There are some drills that are have row cleaners on as well. It's kind of rare, but being able to plant like right after the combine. Uh, with heavy residues can be a challenge for some drills. And and because of that, you have to increase your seeding rate to accommodate not getting all the seeds in the ground. Um, so that's why planting with a precision planter is sometimes going to be a cost-saving uh, thing to do. Another thing is some farmers, have a, they've, they've sold their drills, and all they have left is a precision planter. And so this brings that into play where they can use that on more acres. And I have here, too, is they can control seed spacing better. And this is primarily with using a, a, a seed that you can singulate. And uh, uh, I know radishes are one of the best ones to do this with where you can actually use milo plates and uh, that, that they, they were able to fit in the, the seed disc for those type of cash crops. And then you can literally singulate those seeds. And, for instance, a drill rate for straight radish, maybe 6 to 8 pounds per acre, if you singulate with a precision planter in 15-inch rows, you can get down into the 2 to 4 pounds per acre, essentially cutting your seeding rates in half. And if all your objective is, is to soak up leftover nitrogen, you can literally use a 30-inch planter with radishes and place those seeds four inches apart. That's only two pounds per acre. Your seed cost is less than four bucks an acre just to accomplish that. Uh, with a drill, you're probably, because you won't get the best spacing at that low seeding rate, you're going to have to put more seeds on there. So clearly this is an advantage if you have a precision planter that's not being used. Uh, you might have to spend a little money for seed discs to, to get it up to speed, but they will pay for themselves really quickly. And also uh, the, the ability to have wider planters. A lot of these planters are, are very wide or wider than most drills. They can be um, in some situations. So that's just another reason to use a precision planter. Um, so my second point here then talks more about planting as soon as possible after the cash crop harvest. And I like to say that and that I like to follow the combine. And uh, sometimes we can literally do that. And sometimes within a day is fine. But every day counts. And this next statement here, one day in September is like a week or more in October. 
It's all about growing degree days. And so especially when we are in that planting window, when we're still in that good ideal planting window for whatever we're planting, every day counts. And I have seen a two-week difference in planting date equate into double the amount of biomass production in the fall and in the spring if it's something that overwinters, like cereal rye or something like that. So just a two-week difference can more than double the biomass. Now, biomass doesn't automatically turn into yield, but what I have seen, especially when we're using legumes in front of corn, planting a cover crop two weeks sooner gave me two, seven bushels more of corn the next year. So that in itself right there is going to pay for the seed and probably even the, uh, uh, you know, the planting part of it, and then plus all the other benefits you get out of cover crops. So every day counts. This is clearly one of the most important aspects of trying to make money with cover crops is to take advantage of every day. Now, we can manipulate that a little bit beyond the weather by using shorter season corn hybrids or soybean varieties. And so I'm kind of listing that in the context of this point here. There are some decent short season corn hybrids and soybean varieties that planting 5 to 10% of your acres, getting them off one to ten, one week to 10 days earlier, certainly can play into this whole thing of getting your cover crops planted sooner. And that's something you have to work with your local seed people on, someone who knows what they're doing in your area. Just you don't just pick the shortest, uh, the shortest variety out of the book, or tell the salesman I want your shortest variety. You know you have to have something that does work decent in your area to maintain yield. And um, I've talked about this before. I've done now six years of research on this, and I'm I'm very comfortable with a couple of corn hybrids and soybean varieties where I'm planting them short season, planting them early, getting them off in middle of September so I have a good opportunity for my cover crops to grow. So using short-seeded corn hybrids and varieties is very important in here. So then a couple a couple more points here is it, this is just to help farmers to think. So if you're a farmer or if you're training farmers or you're helping with farmers, um, it costs the same for the seed and the establishment no matter when you plant. And sometimes farmers don't think about that, but it does. So if you can, plant early, right behind the combine, or make that happen. Hire someone else to run that tractor, or use, uh, you know, it's a good way to break in uh, a young family member, or a retired neighboring farmer. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do value getting cover crops put in right, but it's certainly a great opportunity for someone new to get started and in, in actually doing tractor work, uh, planting cover crops. So that's just some suggestions along that line. And, of course, as I said, this whole thing here is maximizing the growing degree days that we have. Uh, now, these past couple couple years have been pretty decent in the fall. We've had nice growing weather in uh, large areas of the country. Uh, so, but regardless, taking advantage in every day 
counts is is just critical in, in being able to do this correctly. So um, I have a picture coming up here that really shows just the difference of uh, what eight days can make. And this is getting into, and I'm, I'm from southeastern Pennsylvania, just to give you an idea. Uh, but on the right-hand side was planted September the 29th, and on the left was October the 7th. This picture was taken in November uh, later on. But just you can just see the difference right there on, on how that was. The re in this instance, the reason I uh, stopped was because it started raining. And so I, I planted until I couldn't go anymore and then came back later on. It was a wet, it was a very wet period of time there that this particular year. So, uh, but you can just see the difference there. That's just eight days difference going into the winter. That's basically how it went into the winter. Now I don't have yield data off this exact spot here, how it made up, but the point is every day counts in the fall. And, uh, typically what I have seen is farmers who have got into cover crops for one to three or five years, once they start realizing the benefits, they make it happen. I can think of many examples of that. Uh, farmers in my neighborhood and farmers I've talked to who said, you know what, I have combines to chase with the grain carts and with trucks, and there's no one around to plant cover crops. Um, but... Once they have seen the value, they find somebody to do it, or they get it done somehow, some way. So uh, it just being able to understand the benefits and then doing something about it is, is really, really important. The next point is uh, shop around for the best price and service. Now, you notice I crossed out price and put in value. And I would say... Most farmers tend to shop on price, and and that's still part of the my point here, what I'm trying to say. But you really have to think about value. And what do I mean by value? What is value? Uh, I was, as many of you know, was in the seed business for um, from 2000. Well, I started actually in 2004 until 2016. And so I have some experience of being on that side of, of this whole uh, issue here. So uh, I'm going to list a few things here. One of them is the germination. So if you're pricing out cover crops, if I'm on the phone uh, and I'm, I'm buying a significant quantity, I'd like to know what the germination is. If it's cereal rye, is it 90% um, or is it 80%? Um, in this case, 80% would be unacceptable unless the price is really cheap. Um, I uh, literally, literally have bought a cereal rye myself here from uh, from someone, got it tested, and the germ was 80%. That's low. So even though the price was, I'll say, fair, I felt after I got home and looked at the tag that I didn't get a good value for that quote-unquote fair price. So know what the germ is, and if you really want to be particular, and this is for the people who uh, are taking this up to the next level or two, you get your, your cover crop seeds a month or two ahead of when you need them, do your own germination tests, and... Um, 
I think most people understand this, but you can take a little test of a couple ounces of seed that may represent a tractor trailer load and get that tested. And there's a there's there's a few quote unquote tricks of the trade out there within the seed industry and how to make the germ look good for a particular um, you know particular cover crop or whatever. So if you're really concerned about this and get your cover crop seeds a month or two early, you can do your own germ test, and it's not really that hard. You can count a hundred seeds out, put them in a paper towel, fold it up a couple times, uh, put a little bit of water in, put it in a Ziploc bag. And three to six days later, go back and look at it and count them out. How many germed? Does it, is it close to what the tag was? If it's an ultra high germ, maybe you can use a little lower seeding rate. If it's a really low germ, you might want to go back to the company and say, hey, I did this little homemade test here. You might want to check your germ again or something like that. So I know this sounds a little bit picky, but you can adjust your seeding rates. And if you have big acres, you can, you can maybe gain something out of that. Um, I actually heard an example of a seed company who had a very, very good germ on their uh, on their product, and um, they actually listed and labeled their seed company below what that germination was by four points, and uh, because it was almost too good to be true. Well, wouldn't you believe the Department of Agriculture did a spot test, and the germ came out as they said extremely high. But they went back, and I don't know if they find them or anything, but since they were out of the the the, um, the spec of what that was to be, even though it was on the high side, they said you're not allowed to do that because if a farmer is planting his seeds based on the germ, he'd be able to manipulate his planting rates uh, to be maximizing them. So I thought that was interesting to hear that. Now that brings us to the next conversation here the next point is the the pls or the pure live seeds and that's just another uh, term in the context of germination here so that when you get your seed you will see the germination which is probably one of the most important ones and then you'll see the purity and the purity has to do with uh, of the amount of seed that's in that bag how much of it is the, the what what you bought in other words there is a tolerance to um, some what they call inert inert matter, which could be anything, could be soil, it could be uh, other things, uh, but all or it could be chaff and things like that. Some seeds are hard to clean; they're they're just going to have to have inert matter. You can't get it 100% pure. Rare, very rare, rarely can you do that. But also, weed seeds are listed, and there's also noxious weed seeds that are listed. Some uh, noxious weed seeds can be used or allowed under a certain tolerable uh, level. Uh, but what is the what is the pure live seeds in that uh, in that product that you're buying? Not all of the uh, companies are going to put this on the tag, but you can kind of figure it out when you take the germination rate and the purity rate. So that should be, the purity should be, almost everything should be 95 to 98% at least of, uh, of seed. So again, just a little thing, but this can, this can make a difference here. So this is all about the value. And then I put in here the uh, service. What's the service that the company you're buying from uh, give you? Are they just selling seeds and if you have a problem, they don't know anything? Uh, to me, that is, that is a way 
when you lock when you lock yourself into a purchase and a price, is there anything else coming along with that in regard to service? And what I'm really meaning here is if you do have questions on maybe how to best grow this cover crop, when is the seeding dates for my area and different things like that. So uh, I think that's really important to know uh, in the in the context of of the value of the seed. And then I have in here brand versus variety. And I'm not going to spend very much time on this because it's pretty complex, but a brand is simply whatever the seed company puts in that bag and what they represent. Whatever they advertise it as, the traits that it does, the the, the good things that it, that certain cover crop does, that's it. A variety, on the other hand, is, is more straightforward. It was a variety that was bred, and, and this is the variety. The variety will probably be listed on the tag somewhere. It may be actually be the name of the uh, the type of cover crop you got. It may be that name, or it may not. It can be something else. But when you buy a variety, it's a little more clear than what you're getting when when you do that. And, and, and granted, a lot of times varieties cost more, but you may be more sure what you're getting, and it may have desirable traits that are worth the value. So spend a little bit of extra time on this, but I think this is a key in being able to understand how to save money on cover crop, how to how to be able to figure this all in into your planning. Okay, number four is to use legumes for nitrogen fixation. And I gotta admit I wasn't sure if I wanted to put this one in or not. Uh, because right now the price of nitrogen is not that expensive. Uh, but I would say what I tell people is we live in a volatile world, and the price of nitrogen is probably not anything that any of us have influence on. Um, now, the amount of nitrogen needed, we have absolute uh, the opportunity to have influence on. So what I'm saying right now, and the reason I did keep this in here, is I would encourage all farmers, and those of you who are, who are training farmers, why not try to use some legume cover crops to be able to understand how they work on your farm? Because when that year comes, and I think everyone would agree it could happen, when the price of nitrogen increases, you'll be ready to be able to use legume cover crops to be able to offset that price of nitrogen. So uh, when you have a high nitrogen fixing crop like hairy vetch, which you can kind of see pictured there, or crimson clover, um, or the the balanza clover that's becoming more popular now, um, and there's Austrian winter peas. There's quite a few of them out there uh, of the the more prolific nitrogen producers. You can, if if you do things right, you can kind of justify the cost of the seed and planting it based on the nitrogen it produces. But it's almost a wash with the current prices of seed and with nitrogen. Now, I would argue that the cover crops are going to give you so many more benefits that it's unquestionable. If I can, I'm going to go with the legume cover crop reducing some nitrogen. Um, even if, if I would pencil out the value of nitrogen production of my legume is the same as purchasing nitrogen, every day of the week I'm going to be put, using that legume for my nitrogen source because of all the other benefits that I get out of it that little difficult to put dollars and cents behind it, 
but I know that it does help my bottom line, my investment in my soil. So uh, I see this point right now as more of to get started, uh, but when that year comes and the price of nitrogen goes high, I've made the statement so many times now, if the price of nitrogen would would uh, would would go up 25% or so, there may not be enough cover crop uh, legume cover crop seeds to be able to meet the demand if that does occur. Now I you know I, I hope it doesn't occur, but then again you want to be prepared if it does occur. So that is uh, why I put that in here with uh, using legumes as one of the uh, top five money-making ideas. Now, my, la- my number five idea here is understanding how to create a cost-saving mix. And since mixes are very popular these days, uh, frequent comment I get is, well, doesn't that drive up the cost of your seed? And the answer is, well, it might, but I would say it doesn't have to. So first of all, what are your objectives? Um, so many times we got to get back to this question. What are your objectives? What are you trying to do? Uh, then that, that leads up to then what's our planning window and then what species can we use? So within the context of this point here, I put in swapping species. And what I mean by that is certain species can fluctuate in price from time to time. And I'll just give an example of crimson clover, hairy vetch. Some of those, they can be somewhat volatile. If you think, if you go back over the last 10 to 15 years, there's been some years that vetch has been a lot more expensive and other years it's been cheaper and the same with crimson clover. So when we're thinking about cost savings in a mix, when I'm using my example here of crimson clover and hairy vetch, which are two good legume producing uh, uh, species, if the price of vetch is high and the price of crimson clover is low, I may give more to my mix of the crimson clover and less of the hairy vetch. And maybe that'll flip-flop sometimes. So if you're really looking at cost savings, you want to check every year what the prices are of the specific species that you're putting in your mix. Um, and just limit the one or maybe replace it with another one. Now, you may be giving up a few things here and there. You have to that has to enter into it all. But the whole idea of swapping out species, again, this is, this is fine-tuning our cost savings, but it's a, it's a valid point. Now, the other reason that's more impactful, and this leads to using lower seeding rates, is the synergies that happen when you start mixing species. And I think that's fairly common and accepted knowledge now. There's been quite a few studies done that support this just from biomass measurements, but I like to say that 1 plus 1 equals 3 in the context of cover cropping species. So when you start mixing species, you can start reducing the rates of each individual species lower than the percentage of those species would be if you divide it out according to the amount of species in a mix. Um, so I don't know if you could follow me right there, but uh, let's just use uh, radish for an example. If we're going to uh, use the normal seeding rate of radish of six pounds per acre drilled, if I'm going to use three species and radish is a part of it, 
I know that radishes are very aggressive. So I could say, well, I take six and divide it by three, and that's two. So I should plant two pounds per acre in this mix. I would say no, probably closer to one pound of radish in that mix is would be the 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 best way to do that. Um, now, I I could give you other examples, and sometimes you have to again go back up to the top here. What are your objectives? If it's compaction alleviation, then I might want to stay at, and it's my, my example here, I might want to stay at two pounds of radish or maybe just bump up a little bit more than that because they're really good at compaction alleviation. But I want to maybe have a little annual ryegrass in there to help with that objective as well. And um, maybe I want to just put a little oats in just to help protect it over the winter, a little bit more biomass in the fall, or what have you. Um, so I'm just saying here, real broad stroke, seeding rates of the individual species can be lower than you will think. Now, I've seen different formulas out there. I could give you formulas, but frankly, you need to try it yourself on your field. I have taken a, a mix that I saved and planted it every week for four weeks straight during the September 15th to October the 15th, the exact same mix in the same field. And when by the time November came around, you would have thought that that mix was different each time, just looking at it. And the only difference was the time of year. In this case, it was only one week apart. So, uh, again, what is our objectives? And when we start making up our mixes, uh, we've had a talk on this here, one of our webinars is more specifically about how to design mixes and so forth. You can go back and, and uh, watch that if you care to. I'm just going to say now, my advice is to try something based on this very basic uh, instructions that I gave here, and then you tweak after that what you see like for the following year and so forth. Because every farm, every field actually could be a little bit different. So, so as I stated on the outset, I, I couldn't, uh, kind of contain it down to just five. So I had to throw some bonuses in here. And I just, I'm not going to talk about this a whole lot, but grow your own cover crop seed can be a significant cost savings. Most farmers have combines and you can do the, the easy ones like cereal rye, triticale, um, and, and that, but uh, this here is actually a picture of radishes that I was harvesting on my farm in Pennsylvania, and I'm just telling you, that's no longer done. Uh, there's two reasons. We don't have the right weather for it, and number two is we don't have the right combines. Uh, the uh, There's a reason why the majority of the seeds are grown in Oregon. It's because they have, number one, the weather that accommodates good seed growing, and number two, they have the infrastructure in place. Uh, like, for instance, a radish combine, you almost have to put $30,000 into it just to get it ready to do radishes. Um, so there are some cover crops that aren't really accommodating for, for a lot of farmers, but there are, there are quite a few out there that are. So if you can do that, 
and 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 get them cleaned and and do that this certainly can be a cost saving method um now I want to wrap up here today by listing what I think may be and this is my bonus number 2 here and you guys have heard me say this a lot but I had to put it in this may be the most cost saving idea it's maybe more of a mindset for when you plant cover crops and that's treat your cover crops like your cash crops and i say this every time i give a talk i believe almost every time but when you it's it, again it's the mindset here and if you think back everything i said today could be funneled through this statement farmers are really keyed into doing a good job at planting their cash crops getting the good seed Getting the right seed for cash crops, they spend a lot of time and effort, a lot of time and effort doing that. And if you want to save money or make money with cover crops, you're going to have to accept that level of management. And again, this it's getting into that cover crop mindset is the, is the foundation of being able then to make money with cover crops. This is why... I feel that farmers are when once they get three to five years in the cover crops, they no longer push the pencil to see if that cover crop literally paid that year. They have experienced some of the benefits that some are they're intangible. They're, they're, they they you can't identify dollars and cents with everything, but they know it's good for the soil. They see a difference in the soil. And they are doing a good job at maximizing their use. And I'll, I'll just say one one little thing here. One of the frustrations I see with uh, when cover crops get get subsidized, and I'm not against subsidizing and putting money out there for guys to get started, and, but I think it should be limited to those who are started, is they don't take care of it. They basically just want to throw the seeds out there, collect the money, and hope for the best. Uh, but when but but when you're when you're treating your cover crops like your cash crops, I think that is probably the best way to be able to make money uh, out of uh, the process. So, in summary, get your questions ready here. But in summary, um, I'm going to open up the lines here soon. Uh, using a lower seeding rate by using a precision planter that doesn't affect everybody, but it affects a lot of people. Uh, plant as soon as possible after cash crop harvest. That that affects Everyone could take advantage of that. Shop around for the best value and service when you're buying your seeds. Use legumes for nitrogen fixation. Uh, if you don't feel that that pencil's out on a nitrogen basis, I've just suggested get 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 a little practice now growing some legumes because one of these days the, uh, the price of nitrogen will probably uh, creep up. Uh, then understand how to do a, a cost-saving mix. And my two bonuses were uh, grow your own cover crop seed and treat your cover crops like your cash crops. So I'm going to, uh, with that, I'm going to open it up here um, that anyone could ask a question. Uh, would uh, sure there's probably some questions, and also if you have another idea you would like that. I mean, there's again, like I said at the very beginning, I could have probably listed 25 here. But these are the ones I wanted to focus on today. So uh, who who has a question or a comment? Hey, Steve, it's Brent. Yes, Brent. I would just like to add in that 
you know, when you're asking or you're telling farmers that, you know, growing your own cover crop seed is a way to save money, just be careful that they're not growing a protected variety. Correct. Because, you know, there are varieties of rye or triticale, and, you know, that's a good way to get yourself in trouble by stealing someone else's genetic. Yes, and I, I'm glad you brought that up, Brent. I have a whole uh, topic on that, um, how to grow your own cover crop seed legally. So go back and look at that webinar. Uh, but thanks for bringing it up because I want to be clear here that it is it is not fair to a company that spends thousands. And I'm talking, you know, I know what it costs to bring a cover crop. I know what it costs to bring a cover crop variety to market, and it's in the twenty to fifty to hundred thousand dollar range. It's not fair if people steal that and just use it and sell it to their neighbor or whatever. So, um, uh, point well yeah, taken. Yeah, where that's happening right now is in Michigan. You've got growers producing their own uh, nematode control radish varieties. I see. And so, what that the signal that in breeders is don't send your newest material right. here or it'll get stolen. That's right. Well, I'll just mention really quickly on that uh, some of the um, some of the varieties, new varieties coming out now are DNA tested. That if there is a concern that that is happening, they can actually go back and do the DNA and just see. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, so our I see. stuff we've got we've got DNA markers, so you know if we suspect, then we have a give away a verifying. Yep, yep, right. Uh, Dan, I see your mic's on. Yes, Steve. <clears throat> um, comment. Um, I don't know if it's this is an idea that I think I think is needed, but it it may be too complicated. But you know. We pay a lot of attention to corn with growing degree days. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't do mu- that much with cover crops. Right. It's, it's, and I really think that we need to have, uh, in fact, I'm thinking about developing mm-hmm. uh, a website that uh, uh, use the mm-hmm. local weather station. Right. And, and use 40 degrees as yep. the, the low temperature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because what I like this year, we've we've had a very cool mm. fall. Okay, and uh, combined with the late harvest, we're really lacking sure. a lot of cover crops that can get planted across yep. the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And and what I've and again, I haven't really crunched the numbers yet. But what I've seen is, you know, we can get the average, mm-hmm. but then also looking at the range. What was last year? What was two years? I mean, mm-hmm. every year seems to be a little bit different like this, both oh, yeah. in the fall and in the spring. Mm-hmm. And it may be too much information from some growers, but at the same time, I think it would give us a better insight on just what kind of a priority to plant an earlier maturing right. Right. corn and soybean crop. Right. Uh, just, you know, kind of, again, basically looking at the odds yep. and, and trying to improve those odds. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree, and actually I have some uh, a collection of a few different, I'll call them experiments, research, where they actually looked at growing degree days in the fall, and they had 
uh, the one that was done in Virginia somewhere, they had about, I think, a dozen or so cover crops, and it was interesting to see the biomass produced by each in the fall according to the growing degree day. So I, I, I'm, I'm support, I'll support your idea there, Dan. Okay. Be the, just, the only caveat, yeah. caveat there, you also have to add um, if, if it's too dry to yes. get the cover crop germinated, then, right. you know, you don't start the clock. Right. You don't start the clock until it germinates, um, yep. essentially. Yeah, the planning date can be different than that, that's for sure. No, I think I think that's that's good. Um, yeah. Uh, any other people have comments or questions regarding uh, how to make money with uh, planting cover crops? Is there any other ideas out there? I know there are, but maybe you just want to mention something that you were just wishing you could say. Anyone else have a comment on that? Well, I, Steve, this is Dan again. Yeah. I think one on your your legume. Um, I, mean, I obviously, if like corn uh, is the next crop, then certainly a, a legume. But adding a little bit to the mix, uh, just from a standpoint of diversity, right? I, I, why? I don't. I don't think a person could go wrong with that. No, and I and I I agree. Um, I just kind of use that as an example there uh, because I I personally would always have another type of a species, meaning a non-legume or grass-type grass, grass type species mixed in. That being said, if corn is my next crop, I'm going to lean heavily on legumes because right. nitrogen yeah. is, is what I need. Uh, and I will say this, again, the uh, what you always say, Dan, it depends <laughs> uh, because – if you have a very, uh, I'll just say, a, a dead soil that you want to bring back to life, you know, you don't see any earthworms, you don't see much biological activity, uh, growing a, uh, a mix is, is very helpful, uh, of course. But I have seen a highly biological soil, which I've had to do, I've had to almost cut back in my legumes now because the critters and the earthworms eat everything up. And because it's so digestible in the spring. So if I'm going to corn next year, yeah, I'm still weighting it heavy toward legumes, but not as much as I used to. Partly as my organic matter is higher now. So once you get into the system, you know, your mix can change and all that. And that's, I know we're getting into details here, but it is, it is something that does occur over time. So, other people have any comments? How do we? How can we make money using cover crops? Um, I see John's on from New York. Do you have any comments? How do you feel you're making money? Or anybody else? I see Brad's on. I see John's on too. So, why don't you go ahead? Yes, All right, this is Steve. Brad. Just uh, sorry. Uh, go ahead, just John. a quick question about. Yep. Uh, go ahead, John. All right, I. You know, so sometimes we we put a lot of manure on when we do cover crops, even if it's just rye, and it really seems to grow really well. But sometimes we don't put any on, and cover crops seem to be lethargic and, and not growing. I wonder if it would pay to put some nitrogen on to speed up the growth a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that that topic comes up once in a while, and again, I think it's coming back to what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, since your farm probably does get manure, uh, maybe not every year, of course, as you mentioned, uh, maybe in your case without knowing anymore, if you're just trying to, if you have enough biomass for erosion control or, or just to keep some biological life in the soil, I would question the need for additional, we'll just say fertilizer, nitrogen or whatever, to, to make that happen. Now, uh, if it's a case where you're trying to break up soil compaction in a poor soil, you might want to add, if you don't have manure here now, as you suggested, you might want to add some nitrogen in order for that cover crop, like a radish or an annual ryegrass, to be able to really do its thing and to be able to grow and get down there and open up uh, open up the soil. Uh, that would be my response to that to the answer there. Uh, but if you're saying your, your cover crop is lethargic and it's not accomplishing what you want it to do, well, then maybe you might want to consider putting on uh, a little nitrogen. I think the chance of you getting that back is fairly high, but you can't guarantee it because there's a lot of variables can go into that. So is that, is that helpful? Is that a helpful answer? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Okay. Thanks. Yes. Steve, Go ahead, Dan. Steve, you, could have, you could have just said it depends. I know. But, <laughs> you know, that gets us off the hook too quick. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Brad. Go ahead, Brad. Yeah, just a question about, um, I guess, picking the plates for a precision, mm-hmm. uh, for planting a precision planting. Um, what's, uh, what are some of the guidelines that you use as far as uh, size? And if you're planting a mix in there, mm-hmm. uh, you said that works pretty well. Um, maybe some, some pointers on, on picking a plate that would utilize that the best. Um, I am. I know of only one aftermarket manufacturer that is making plates for John Deere, Kinsey, and I'm, I know. I think Precision Planting is the next one in line. I'm not sure where they're at. Um, it's a company called Perido uh, from Indiana. I will put their website. I will put it in my email with a link to this webinar, so that you can all get it. Um, and uh, put it on Facebook. I wrote it down here. Uh, so they ha- they have the plates that are designed to be able to plant mixes in vacuum type planters. So Peridot, it's it's just in case you're trying to write it down. It, it's literally looks like Peridot. It's kind of like a French way of saying it. P E R I D O T. Um, and and I know that they're just working on marketing and and, and stuff right now. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I, I'll go on their website and, and find find a, the page that talks about their plates, their seeding discs. So um, that's that's really where it's at right now. The, the exception is if you're planting some, uh, if you happen to have a, well, that's a company also that has backing plates for a Kinsey brush meter, if anybody has that. But as I indicated earlier, you can plant radishes with a small Milo plate or a sugar beet plate. Uh, you can plant peas, of course, with a soybean plate. And just a pea radish every other row has been kind of a popular uh, concept that most farmers have uh, the soybean plates. You might not have a sugar beet or a mito plate and don't expect your dealer to have those plates on hand if you're not in those areas those crops are growing. But they'll get them in for you if that's what you want to do. 
So, but but as far as the mixes, um, as I as far as I know, for vacuum plates, Peridot is the only one making them at this point. If there's anybody knows of it, other other ones, let me know. Yeah, I see Avery Shepherd's on, and um, I know you just joined a group. Do you have any questions, Avery? Anyone else have any questions? Well, see, this this is Dan, yeah. and and I I don't know if it's a question now or if this is a potential other topic. But like I mentioned, uh, we had a lot of cover crops that didn't get planted this fall. And depending upon where you're located, uh, I think that there is some potential for frost seeding uh, early spring. Sure. I mean, even something as simple as oats. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, anyway, it's it's just uh, uh, I'm trying to crunch through and and try to figure out the options uh we've got some folks that are are about mm-hmm. ask, ask me just you know what what can we proceed and Good. and that type of thing well you just gave me an idea i'm gonna have to talk about that and it's one of my uh, topics coming up here uh yeah i would i mean if it was i mean i personally have all my cover crops planted we had a great fall here but uh if I didn't have my cover crops planted, I would be thinking of uh, actually. Here we are; it's the beginning of December, but now we've kind of crossed into a threshold. Um, whereas for the for a lot of the parts of the country, it's gonna it's gonna be cold and and the ground's gonna be frozen. Uh, if you if if I was, I, I would say I would recommend this to pretty much anyone. Even from now on, you could still plant cereal rye. Uh, but we're getting to the time where you can start thinking about planting like a spring oats. Um, even a hairy vetch now, uh, it's, it's maybe a little bit early for that. But I planted hairy vetch in uh, January, uh, first week of January once. We had some uh, uh, the ground opened up and we, I could get some in uh, middle of December. Uh, peas, I'll just tell you this, peas do not work. They're a larger seed. They don't seem to work to plant like that. And the concept uh, is called freeze seeding. Uh, so either the ground is 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 dry enough and and it's plantable, that happens a few times, or sometimes it's freeze. There's been some uh, rain. It's it's somewhat moist. But if you happen to get a, a a night that before the ground like really freezes up, if you happen to get a a night that only freezes gets down to like. 25 degrees or just enough that it freezes that you can actually drive on the field without getting muddy but it's not that deep that you can't cut down through the frost or the top quarter inch is frozen uh, that is that is a tactic uh, Dan that you might want to put out there it may not present itself uh, this winter but it may it happens once in a while I've done it a couple times where I've literally planted through frozen ground. One night I started at 11 p.m. and planted till 2 p. 2 a.m. and the temperature was dropping and I started to see the colder start to pop up out of the ground where they just, it was freezing enough that it, they couldn't stay in anymore. That's when I quit. Uh, but I'm just saying that's a, an option that may occur to just to get some seeds in the ground because what, what I have found then is you, you may have up to eight to twelve inches of growth by the by the first or second week of May, 
and maybe those fields could be planted last then that you can take advantage of some growth. So annual ryegrass is another one that, that you could start thinking about planting soon. I mean, do you, do you agree with that, Dan? You've done a lot of work with annual ryegrass. Oh, I, I think so. The The big question, though, I think that, the you know, because <clears throat> you're always looking at, you know, are you getting your money back? Right. And, right. I, know. And so, I know. So, so again, it's, I think, along with how to get the seed planted, but then, okay, what is the plan in the spring? Because, um, yeah. again, spring weather can be yeah. extremely variable. Yeah. How much growth are you going to get? You know, are you willing to let it grow until the first of May, yeah. for example? Yeah. Uh, if you're planting corn, uh, yeah. so so, yeah. Well, if I had a, if I was a farmer and I had a pallet or two of cover crop seed there, I'd be inclined to plant some of it. I'll just say that. Maybe not the whole thing or whatever, but uh, I would certainly be inclined to plant some of it and see what happens. Uh, but again, that's the way I am. I'm committed to cover crops, so I would just do. Well, it. again, I think it's it's there's. Uh, there is some risk because uh, we again so many unknowns then, but uh, we know it won't grow in the bag. That's great. Yep, uh, Chris, I see you're you're on. Chris, you have some comments. Yeah, in in response to Dan, there, uh, I've been doing the for the past uh, several years doing some spring seeded cover crops ahead of soybeans. You know, if we didn't get you know some rye on or it got too yep. late. And anyway, uh, this year we did. Uh, we've got two trials that we did with PFI, and uh, one is a oat barley mix ahead of soybeans, and we've got some uh, data that'll be published here shortly. And then uh, we also did about a twelve-way mix. Uh, it started with oats barley and had some uh, mustards and a few other things. Kind of kept it, tried to keep it on the cheap side, but uh, anyway, got some uh, really good. Uh, you get some diversity there, mm-hmm. and we were able to plant that like in uh, in March mm-hmm. and got that going, and so we got it up and growing. So we had from six to eight, sometimes up to ten inches of growth on that. What was your feeling, Chris? Did you feel it was worthwhile? I mean, I know you're a committed cover cropper. Probably not a good question to ask you. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. But what, what would you oh, recommend yeah. a guy who, let's just say, never planted cover crops before? Is this something you would recommend to him, or is it just for the diehards? I would say, you know, and why I came up with it is uh, a few years ago, you know, you go to the, all the meetings all winter, get all hyped up, and then, you know, everybody says, well, then you got to wait until the fall to get something going. And so I went out there and kind of researched a little, and, and so I just uh, did some, and uh, we started to see looked like a yield benefit. Mm-hmm. And on some of the trials, we had a slight yield benefit of where we did the spring seeded cover crop. So mm-hmm. it, what I call it, is a jump start to the soil biology. It really gets gets things moving. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's it's showing about you know a one one and a half to two two bushel increase. Okay. On soybeans. Okay. Yeah, I think something like that. You know, and again, person hasn't been doing it, Steve. Uh, keep it simple. Yeah. You know, just throw some oats out there, right. And, right. and it's it's uh, it it may be doing more good in that top two inches than we can we know. 